0: bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting community here button on this page, and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today I am thrilled to be sharing a conversation with a dear friend, Ayelet Marinovich, and Ayelet helps parents really uh, hone in on their skills around the home. And she has a business called Learn With Less, which is music to my ears. Um, if you've been following for a while, I'm I'm somewhat of a minimalist and like to keep things simple. So Ayelet and I definitely get along on this uh, point of view. So Ayelet, thank you. And, and I want to say a double thank you because we have been challenged with this recording. (laughs) We tried it uh, last week and for some reason the internet uh, was not having it. And so we are here again today. And so thank you so much for being flexible and and spending time with me.
1: My pleasure. It's a pleasure to spend time with you, (laughs) (laughs) Jean-Marie.
0: So uh, I would love that we start with my favorite question, which is how do you uh, define the art of parenting?
1: Yeah, so honestly, I think really it's a balance. Um, it's all about balancing and feeling positive, even when, <laughs> even when there's nothing to feel positive about. <laughs> uh, and and not to say that you have to feel positive all the time. I think really it's just the sense that today is today, and tomorrow is another day, and we do not always get it right. No one gets it right all the time. Um, And there are so many, you know, positive parenting and parenting experts out there. And I love the ideals that are, um, you know, set forth by, by those philosophies. But I, as a parent, I feel sometimes, and I think I had a post recently, Jean-Marie on my own, you know, Facebook page about how I did get it right this one day and, um, And it felt so good. And even though I do have all the tools, technically, you know, quote unquote, all the tools, I do still sometimes fail. And when I get it right, it just feels so good. You're like an Olympic athlete, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think really the art of parenting is being able to take the punches and know that you are not perfect and you should not be. And also uh, showing your, your children that that's okay.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. And it's so, so true about just modeling that we are always learning from our mistakes, right? That, that to be able to tell a child, Oh, my gosh, that is not the way I wanted to react, I'm going to try better next time is just so important, because then that is kind of that growth mindset that we talk about these days to yeah. really help them learn yeah. from those it's mistakes.
1: So, it's about the repairing. Right. Once we made a mistake, because we have, we all do, we all make them. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: And I think, thank you for also saying that, you know, even though with your educational background and the fact that you are, you know, in the parenting profession, uh, all of this, that it doesn't mean that we get it right. Like it's, it's even with all the tools, with all the good intentions, we sometimes mess up and that's okay.
1: Yeah, and and we're all, you know, operating on various uh, abilities and various um, other factors, right? Like how much sleep we've gotten, how much food we've eaten, how how good that food was for us, you know, mm-hmm, how, mm-hmm. how much water we've had, how how what kind of a regulated state we are in depends on all those outside factors, and our ability to co-regulate with our children depends yeah. on.
0: Things. Yeah, I, I love I love this point because aren't we always so focused on if the children have had enough sleep and what have they eaten and all of this, but we forget to think about what have I eaten lately? <laughs> so Absolutely. yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit. I, I'd love for you to share with our listeners kind of your background and how you came to do the work that you are doing today with parents and children worldwide.
1: Yeah. So I. I started my career over a decade ago as a speech-language pathologist, which really means, you know, focusing on communication. And I focused my entire career on pediatric uh, work, so work with families with children and primarily emergent or early communicators. Um, so a lot of work with families with infants and toddlers. And I... Worked with families with infants and toddlers for many years, and then had my own infant. <laughs> <Ta-da>! <laughs> and of course, you know, you come into parenthood thinking that you're going to be the best parent possible, and of course you you are faced with some major challenges, just like everybody else. Uh, <laughs> and and I struggled certainly with the overwhelm and uh, the anxiety and the lack of confidence in many things. And my husband and I when I was pregnant had moved across the pond or from California both of us and we had moved to the the UK in London. And so I spent the majority of my pregnancy uh there and figuring out, you know, okay, well navigating the space of of pregnancy and and birth birthing options and early parenthood and what that was going to be like in a place that was very far from my own home, far from the systems that, you know, we know at least somewhat, right? I mean, I had never had a baby, but I knew what kinds of options were available to me here in the U.S., but suddenly I was in this new place with my, without my, you know, ingrained support network. And so I had to create one. So when my baby was born, I had, I had this sort of thought, well, why don't I, maybe I can host some, some sort of parent support slash family enrichment, baby enrichment kind of groups in my home. And that might be fun because I do know something about, you know, early development. I know something about, you know playing with your baby that was clearly something that many of my co new parents were experiencing difficulty with, and the one area that I was not right I was sleep deprived I was anxious, I was freaking out about many things, but I was not asking the question, "What do I do with this little tiny thing all all day <laughs> because I knew I knew those things um so I basically opened up my home. I started opening up my home to, you know, uh friends and friends and local moms, um and dads and babysitters and grandparents, uh, each week and we would meet for this sort of, you know, developmental discussion, slash music class, slash just like having a tea and a chat as one does in London. And yeah. It was just lovely it was a space to connect it was a space to observe it was a space to feel supported uh and i learned a lot from it because of course i was going through this early parenthood thing for the first time alongside my my friends and who, these women and men who became very close friends and who i still have a very close connection with many of them and uh And I was just trying to figure out, okay, well, what were their questions and how could I support them by, you know, helping answer these questions with knowledge and resources that I knew about how to find these things or just were in my head and just needed to organize. And also how could I help myself to feel more empowered to share information, to feel like I could use my brain in sort of a different way, even though it was exhausted, this felt very purposeful. And it felt like something that I really wanted to do. Uh, so yeah, I, I started sharing information. I got to sing and play with babies and new parents. And that was just like heaven to me personally, because I got to nerd out on all of the things that I love to nerd out on. Um, And really it was about showing, um, Showing other parents, like, look, your baby is making choices, even though he or she is only two months old. You just have to create the experience and and uh, integrate these sort of ideas of very simple things that you can use, like, how can you play with a baby well here's how you can play with a baby how 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 do you talk to a baby what do you say here are some things that you can say you know i i would love to sing to my baby i know my baby enjoys music but i don't feel musical myself so and and then movement of course like all of these sort of four pillars of how do i integrate more of these basic things into my everyday life using the the materials that i already have in my home the time and energy that I'm already spending right routines and rituals and little moments of play here and there and and that is how we can support and connect with our tiny humans and it's that simple.
0: <laughs> yeah no and I love that because you're, you're you know like you say it's it, it was purposeful work but it was also nurturing work for you because you needed that village and you created it for for others And, and also what, what you said to me that is, you know, super important is kind of utilizing what we are already doing, you know, this idea that we have to make time to play with our children and and such. It's like being just aware that that is their language and that we are, we are communicating with them and we are integrating them into our lives like it's cuz i get that question a lot from parents like how long should i be playing with my child and to me it's like there is no set time it's really about how are you interacting with your child all day long and that there are moments when your child doesn't want you to interact yes. with them, you know and and just being aware of that so so you know when you say observe to me that is like, so essential, and it's the foundation to supporting our children is to learn to observe in a very, you know, non judgmental kind of scientific way of just seeing what they're doing, seeing what they're interested in.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It, and we don't get that time. We don't no. make that time for ourselves normally because, instead, so many of us, when we become parents, we. Adults are procedural learners, right? We we think, okay, I'm going to have a baby. What do I need? What do I need to buy? What do I need to get so that I'm set up for, you know, to, to help my child be set up for, for their life? Uh, so we ask the question, what do I need to buy? And instead, you know, we're asking the wrong questions. It's really about how can I use what I already have and integrate my child into those everyday routines and integrate more basic things that support development into what I am already doing. Because again, I agree, Jean-Marie, I hear so many families ask me, you know, how, how much should I be talking to my child? How, how much time should I be letting him independently play? How much time should I do this, this, this? It's, people want a regimented procedure they want to know what exactly they should be doing um and instead i i like to say you know it's not about taking your child to a museum sure if you want to go to the museum fabulous but you know what is also just as enriching going to the grocery store right right (laughs) And also just as enriching as going into the museum for your tiny toddler is probably playing with the rocks on the fountain outside. (laughs) And that's probably what they want to do. So it is a reframe, I think, for parents and caregivers to think, well, you know, I want the best toys. I want the best things. And I think so often we are, we are faced with the baby industry and what the baby industry likes to tell us we need. And I'm sort of, of the opinion that, you know, I look at uh, many of these like uh, fancy toy subscription boxes and I think, well, okay, what's in this? Oh, that's a wooden tissue box. (laughs) That's an oven mitt, right? Like we have these things already in our homes It's just a matter of understanding what it is that is useful, what it is that we're already doing in cases like, for instance, peekaboo. Peekaboo is a developmentally enriching uh, activity. (laughs) It's a social routine. It is uh, helping to support object permanence or the idea that something is still there even when you can't see it, right? It's, It's supporting all these developmental sort of concepts for our young children. And many parents don't realize that it is it is developmentally beneficial. They know their children enjoy it. But once you can sort of look under the hood at what it is that you're already doing in many cases uh, and why it's developmentally beneficial, you're going to do it more and you're going to enjoy it more because you know how enriching it is for your child and you know that you can you know, take your child and play with the water that you saved from the shower instead of, you know, taking them to the swimming pool and giving them swimming lessons in order for them to have an enriching experience with water, right? Like, I mean, you right. both, if that's what you want to do. Of course, I'm not saying that you have to, that you shouldn't buy any toys or you shouldn't buy toys that are recommended to you. But the idea that there are quote-unquote expert curated toys to me, is quite ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there are there are objects that are wonderful and developmentally enriching, and those are called open-ended toys. Right, <laughs> right. Parts, and it doesn't matter if they are organically stained, and it doesn't matter if it's a cardboard box. Often, it's the same thing. It's not the material. It's how we use the material,
0: right. and And I will say just to to kind of in defense of of some of these subscri- subscription, because I have a dear friend who who created one uh, with a kind of the Montessori philosophy. To me, it's it's not necessarily the the toys themselves, but it's the whole education behind, which is right. what you're doing, you know, exactly. with 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 helping parents understand what peekaboo is about, you know, the object permanence box is something it, it is a toy that was, you know, developed a long time ago by a psychologist, all of this, but it's because they noticed how children around nine months had this fascination with, you know, is it here forever? Is it gone? It's, you know, all of that. And so when you explain that with with how to kind of enrich our children's life with what we already have and which I really feel comes instinctual to us if we will just give ourselves permission to just be with them and mm-hmm. to, you know, to observe. So so I, I just wanted to, to say that because I think a lot of those are just supporting us in, in knowing what what to do and how to do it kind of thing and that's what you're doing with you know learn with less because um actually just this morning I was watching a little um IGTV you had you were uh, you were creating some uh boxes with your little one and I loved it because it was all about language too of you know do you want it uh tall or skinny or wide or, you know, on top at the bottom, all of this and and beautiful. And then it, it brought me back to a memory with my child, but he was a bit older. His thing was we would go to Costco. So for those of you not in the U.S., Costco is like this—you know—big big uh, store where there are like galore of boxes. <laughs> so yes. that was his thing. We would go to the and we would fill up the trunk with boxes, and then with a hot glue gun, he would make these amazing constructions yeah. with boxes and paint them and and whatever. So this was older, but it's just like, how simple is that? Like. It just cost me the trip to get the boxes and that was it, you know? Uh, So, so it's just about knowing what to do with what we already have. um, And, and that they want us to connect with them more than anything else. Right. Way beyond all the toys. So Ayala, you, you, you mentioned earlier uh, four pillars and would you mind going back to that and kind of explaining what those are? Um, for our listeners?
1: Yes. So uh, I, I have, I believe that when we integrate these four sort of pillars or tenets, uh, them into our lives, that's really, it's very simple, right? So first is play. And play, I think we look at play as, as adults, we learn to think about play, we're conditioned to think about play as like, well, you play a game. There are rules to a game. First you do this, then you do that. X plus B, X plus Y equals Z, right? Um, But obviously infants and toddlers don't think of play that way, right? We don't um, tend to have a very successful (laughs) experience you could say of playing a board game, say with a toddler, right? because they don't want to follow the rules they want to explore the object
0: they have their own rules <laughs>
1: yeah, they are creating their own rules and that's fine uh so we have to reframe we have to remember that play looks different for infants and toddlers and uh and that things even like i mean we i think we look at things like a book reading a book from front to to back right start to finish that's how you read a book but But that's not what early literacy is built upon, right? Early literacy is built upon things like uh, touching print, print awareness, looking at print, um, uh, manipulating a print object. Now, whether that's reading a book or mouthing a book or, or flipping through the pages or ripping paper or throwing a ball of newspaper into the bin... That's all early literacy, right? That's all play, too. So, I think about play as this sort of open ended experience where there is no specific goal in mind necessarily, right? And you can get in there with your child, you can support your child through that experience of exploration and experimentation. Uh, but you, you don't need to tell them what they're doing. You don't need to model for them what they should be doing with an object because they are experimenting with it and learning about it in their own ways, right? A, a baby who's holding something up is is learning about gravity, about weight, about force, about the sensory experience of where her body is in space and how much force she needs to exert upon it to lift it up, right? Right. I mean it, it's so obvious, but it's like,
0: oh, right,
1: it's right, right in front of us but and, and
0: they're they're little scientists like they're they're they are constantly exploring what what this world is about, yeah, it's fascinating exactly.
1: yeah, so it's our job as a caregiver when it comes to play just to be flexible, to be accepting, to model back and to obviously ensure safety with a variety of materials, but really to discuss and observe. And that brings me to the second pillar of talk, right? So talk about what your child is doing, make observations, repeat and imitate what your child is doing and make some kind of variation. So it's more interesting, whether it's through language or or otherwise. Um, We all communicate for a variety of purposes. So I think sometimes when our tendency to ask, what's this, what's this, what's this, what's that, right? (laughs) It's very, uh, it is our natural state often when we're looking at a child, especially who's like emergently verbal, who's just starting to say words. And we want to test them. We want them to show us what they know. But remember also that your child communicates for a variety of purposes, just like you. And what we want to do is model to them how, We want them to communicate. And again, it goes back to our own co-regulated state, right? So you want to model what you want to see, not only in the way that we speak to each other and to our children, but also not just asking them about what questions. Think about the other WH questions. Why, when, how, where, right? And you don't need them to, to answer. Especially an infant is not going to answer you these are going to be open-ended rhetorical questions in many cases but when you model the asking of questions guess who's going to imitate that
0: <laughs> right right uh,
1: so we want to also communicate using a variety of means right we don't just use our our words we also use the tone of our voice we use gestures we model how close to another person we want to be all of these are the sort of socially acceptable parts of language as well. Um, So talk really encompasses all communication. Mm -hmm. And then then sing is the next one. And that's, again, even if you are not, you don't consider yourself musical, you can be, and you often already are being musical and can integrate musical experiences into your child's life. Uh, And number one, they are not the most discerning of musical, you know, connoisseurs. Your baby has been listening to your vi- voice if you carried your baby since about 4 or 5 months gestation and paying attention to the different melody of your voice in whatever language or languages you speak and paying attention to the sounds and when a word stops and where another one ends. They are listening, right? That is musical already. You are musical, whether you like it or not. Um, and then, you know, we can, we can make rhythms. We can change the, the, um, the rate at which we speak. We can do it louder or softer. We can, we can talk and sing about what we are doing. Um, and I think, you know, we had spoken, uh, recently at Jean-Marie, you and I, about how, you know, this idea of like baby talk, right? That there is something actually called infant directed speech, which sometimes has been referred to as baby talk or motheries or parenties, which really are the the ways that we naturally change our voice when we're speaking to a very young child. And that is something that we all do in all languages. To some degree it can be um, a slower rate a higher pitch more repetitions more varied pitch contours right what does this sound like music we're making our voices more musical when we're talking to our children so um, Beautiful.
0: and and i just i i yeah. want to interrupt you because it, there's a, a a great memory that that there was a family that i was working with and uh, their child was was quite young and and the dad shared with me some songs that he had you know that he was making up for bath time or all of this and i said oh that's so so nice and and the mom looked at me she she goes our life has become a musical like it's everything you know everything and it, it was just beautiful because that's how they were communicating with this baby, you know, like you say, of, of singing of what you're doing and, and, and all of that. I know, you know, sometimes when I'm by myself, I, I sing or, or, you know, this weekend I went on a bike ride, I was singing as I'm biking. Like it's, I think it's just natural and our children love, love, love our voice.
1: Well, we know that they attend longer and they are more focused. It's Mm -hmm. like when we change our voice, whether we are you know doing this sort of infant directed speech thing or whether we are doing infant directed musical experiences or mu- infant directed singing that's <laughs> that is going to help them focus we can see that there's a difference we can see that they see it's for them
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you know that that it might be more effective in terms of you know a transition or helping them move from one thing to another or starting a new activity or helping them get through an activity that maybe they don't enjoy so much. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a wonderful way to add a silly element to what we're already doing and to add joy into routines that we're already engaging in. Um, and really, you know, rhythms are everywhere. You don't need a bunch of musical instruments. Of course, they're lovely to have uh and you know it's great to have a variety of of kinds of surfaces to explore and and touch um and that's important too but uh you know you can also <laughs> you can also bang on a laundry basket drum you can also bang on pots and pans you can also use a wooden spoon right
0: Got you don't
1: need a very very fancy shaker or drum Uh, unless that's something that you would like to invest in and become part of your toolbox.
0: Um. Right. Right. And, and I would say for that, like for me, instruments are, uh, are lovely to have, but if you are going to have instrument, like have quality instruments, I, 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 I have a hard time with kind of the, you know, the make-belief or such that, aren't giving maybe the, the, the best sound because that auditory sense is being developed. And I would rather that a child discern, you know, quality sounds. So, you know, if, if you're not going to invest, then just take out the pots and pans. But if you are going to invest, invest in quality ones.
1: Sure. Yeah. 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 I think variation is the key to exactly the happiness, right? Because yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so make music with what you have and, and fill your home with what what you need.
0: And, and with, with joy, life. because yes. that singing yes. does bring joy. I mean, it makes it makes washing the dishes a lot more joyous if we're oh, singing sure. about it, right? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and sing really, you know, that moves right straight into, into move, right? Which is the last sort of pillar, because movement is often how we respond to music or to... Do anything we need movement to stay alive, we need movement to explore we need movement to to get our brains working, and that's the same for tiny babies so whether it's uh you know through touch or by just having something on the floor, having an open space to explore we we think because the baby industry has these things that we can buy with these gear. Uh, things that we can put our babies in that oh, well, that's what's going to help them develop. Well, you know what helps a baby de- develop? Oh. <laughs> learning how to move, right? Yes, yes, that's how they explore. Um, yeah. exploration can't be contained, uh, and movement really is learning and it's it is life. And um, yeah. we want to consider even for a tiny baby the different planes of movement, whether that's you know um going forward or backward or side to side or up and down or on the diagonal and whether that's during tummy time or uh a diaper change or a dance you know, a dance party, whatever it is, uh, we can explore so many so many things in so many ways. And um uh one of my one of our mutual loves, uh Wendy McKenna of Move Play Grow, mm-hmm. she has a wonderful uh statement that she likes to say that, you know, our homes are really just giant containers. So exactly. move outside that yeah. is, you know, even when it's cold outside, we can experience so much, so much sensorially, even if it's just for two minutes outside, that sense of, of cold, of snow to touch that as a baby, what an exciting thing, right? Or right. The when it's sunny outside or the back, sitting on the bike of a back of a bicycle, like it's, the wind in your face, it's the movement of, of everything. That's, that's life. That's how we
0: yeah. and, and speaking about uh, going outdoors, I know I encourage families all the time. And there's a, yeah. a, a, a quote, and I, I'm, I might butcher it, but it's something about, you know, there is never uh, bad weather, there's just poor clothing
1: yes oh I love right.
0: you just <laughs> you can you can go out rain or shine or you know storm or whatever that that is an experience in itself but yes you yeah. need to you know maybe think about what you're what you're going to put on before going out of course. and 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 you know that was music to my ear the whole movement thing and and not putting our children in containers because that's one thing you know with the baby industry having these Exercisers and all of these things, where you just plop your child and they're, you know, they're going to be quote unquote entertained. That's not yeah. the point. Like they, they're way more in, uh, you know, entertained with finding the dust bunny on the floor than oh <laughs> than. Also,
1: yeah. I think we get the, we get in our heads like, oh well, if I if I buy this seat and put my baby in it before you know he or she can sit up on her own, then that's going to help them learn how to sit up and and that's just not true <laughs> from a human development and muscle memory like that's just not how that's not how babies learn to sit up and in the absence of a specific diagnosis you know your child is going to learn on their own just fine how to move given plenty of opportunities to move and explore that's how they learn to um to get to those milestones. Exactly. And and, and our job is just to facilitate that. Yeah,
0: so and we and we we all did before all of those contraptions were invented. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. What did what did you say?
1: Oh that yeah, no, that's exactly what
0: I was no. going to yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so wonderful. So those four pillars play, talk, sing, movement. And and when you say talk, it's really that whole Human interaction, the, the 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 communication that we uh, that we bring our children, and for me, it's also you know that whole observation and and letting them have time to be bored and figure mm-hmm. things out on their own, which mm-hmm. is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Well, this has been this has been delightful, and and I just want to ask. Um, Maybe a more personal question. And that is, you said you had, so you said you had a child in the UK, but you have two boys, right? Yes, I do. And were they both born in the UK?
1: No. So my first was born in the UK. My second uh, was uh, created in Germany, (laughs) in Berlin. And I spent the majority of my pregnancy in Berlin. And then when I was 30 weeks pregnant, we moved back here to the US. So he was born uh, nine weeks later, uh, here in the U S
0: and, and just out of curiosity was, did you see, feel a difference with the whole birth experience between the U S and the UK?
1: Yes. So I had a slightly less traditional experience. I, when we gave, when I gave birth in the UK, I, I, had a very difficult sort of postpartum experience physically. And, um, you know, it's like, so, so grateful that they just, the, the model of care is that after you're released from the hospital, the community midwives come and do well baby and well mama checks at home. They come to you for the first, you know, week or so after a baby is born and after you're released from the hospital. And had that not been the case for me, I would have been in dire straits for Mm -hmm. several unpleasant experiences. And, um, you know, no medical system is perfect, absolutely. But uh, I really wanted to have a postpartum Experience like that uh myself or my my u s birth, and the only way that I was able to figure out how to actually really do that and really just have all of the options open to me was to hire a midwife mm. so we decided that we would risk it, and we amazingly had the privilege to be able to afford someone and hope that we could and by by risk, I mean. Risk not being reimbursed by insurance. (laughs)
0: Right, right. Um,
1: So basically what happened was I moved to the U.S. at 30 weeks pregnant. For the first month, I only had emergency health insurance. So I didn't even have prenatal care covered. So thank goodness I had hired a midwife who was actually in charge of my care. So she was in charge of my prenatal care for the last you know, trimester or whatever of my pregnancy. And then she was there uh and then she was uh here um for the postpartum experience as well. So through through everything she she was the person who just let it all beautiful. And we were we were very very lucky um, in so many ways, and every and it was also a precipitous birth, and so that was an entirely other story. So my husband actually ended up delivering the baby anyway.
0: Oh, um, beautiful!
1: <laughs> so it was crazy, but it it was it was amazing. And then I had that in home care afterwards, and you know,
0: no, no, I, I I asked because I'm kind of like you. I had my first in France and my second here in the US and just I yeah. always say how just how different you know the the prenatal care the the postpartum care all of that is just uh so yeah. different and and I always say thank goodness that I had had my first uh, before that I knew what to expect because I think yeah. um it's just it's just hard to be sent home with with just no information and no, no support, if you don't create that support ahead of time. So Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. good
0: for you for, for, for seeking that out uh, beforehand. So back to my, back to my question, we kind of diverted, but that was, that was, that was was perfect.
1: Everyone wants to tell their story, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, and to me, just, you know, birth stories fascinate me, the whole, you know, the whole birth experience is something that I just want to really empower women to just own it and and um so beautiful thank you but so your your eldest is how old
1: he is six now
0: six so if you were to go back to seven years ago when you were you know expecting him and here you had just moved to the UK what um kind of wise words would you would have liked to hear knowing all that you know today
1: Honestly, I think really that you, you have everything you need. You are going to figure it out and <laughs> nothing lasts forever.
0: <laughs> mm, beautiful. It all,
1: it all moves. This, this too shall pass and it will pass into something, you know, equally challenging and equally beautiful.
0: Right. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for that um and as we as we wrap up is there anything that you would like to make sure our listeners just kind of get a, a final message
1: yeah uh just that that you you have everything you need and you I think really it to me parenthood is all about uh, informing yourself fe- feeling like you do you right you want to do what you want to do but but I think personally that information is is key and find those places in the world that speak to you and those people who speak to you and and trust your gut. Trust that that you can do it and trust when you have a concern and trust when um, when your baby trust your baby.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. So beautiful. Thank you. I yell it because it, it's true. It's about trusting ourselves and trusting our babies for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for having made the time to be here with me and, and to be here with our listeners. It's been a pleasure.
1: Of course. And if anyone you know would like to take a look at those four pillars, I do have them on the infant toddler development blueprint, uh, which I believe you're linking to anyway. Yes, yes,
0: I will have all of that uh, in the show notes right below this episode. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. Yeah, Uh,
1: thanks for having me,
0: Jean-Marie. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time. (laughs)